0: Jane Austen's Emma, Volume 3, Part 1, Chapters 1 through 3. In the short chapter 1, Emma ponders her own and Frank's feelings. Quote, her own attachment had really subsided into a mere nothing. It was not worth thinking of. But if he, who had undoubtedly been always so much the most in love of the two, were to be returning with the same warmth of sentiment which he had taken away, it would be very distressing. If a separation of two months should not have cooled him, there were dangers and evils before her. Caution for him and for herself would be necessary. She did not mean to have her own affections entangled again, and it would be incumbent on her to avoid any encouragement of his, end quote. When Frank and Emma meet again, the narrator tells us, There could be no doubt of his great pleasure in seeing her, but she had an almost instant doubt of his caring for her as he had done, of his feeling the same tenderness in the same degree. She watched him well. It was a clear thing he was less in love than he had been. Absence, with the conviction probably of her indifference, had produced this very natural and very desirable effect." Emma has every expectation of seeing more of Frank Churchill because Mrs. Churchill, his aunt, who always had one health crisis or another, has moved with her family to London. It soon appeared that London was not the place for her. She could not endure its noise. Her nerves were under continual irritation and suffering. And by the 10 days end, her nephew's letter to Randalls communicated a change of plan. They were going to remove immediately to Richmond, And here we have a little reflection on travel times in the early 19th century. Richmond is much closer to Highbury than London, which we know is 16 miles away. Richmond is only nine miles away. And Mr. Weston reflects, What were nine miles to a young man, an hour's ride, he would be always coming over. The difference in that respect of Richmond and London was enough to make the whole difference of seeing him always and seeing him never. Sixteen miles, nay, eighteen, it must be full eighteen to Manchester Street, was a serious obstacle. Were he ever able to get away, the day would be spent in coming and returning. There was no comfort in having him in London. He might as well be at Enscombe. But Richmond was the very distance for easy intercourse, better than nearer. So nine miles was considered to be about an hour's ride, whereas 18 miles, even though it's only double that, seemed to involve the whole day in coming and going. Chapter two is another of our periodic gathering chapters. One advantage of having Frank Churchill nearer is that they are able to take up again their plan of having a ball at the Crown Inn, and the ball takes place at last in this chapter. This chapter reveals much about the Eltons and their true natures. We get a generous sampling of Miss Bates' medley style of conversation as well, Medley was the term that Emma had used to describe her style of speaking. As the people are gathering and talking with each other, we have Frank Churchill standing near Emma, and once Miss Bates winds down for breath, Emma is able to hear part of a conversation between Mrs. Elton and Jane Fairfax. Mrs. Elton is fishing for compliments. How do you like my gown? How do you like my trimming? How has Wright done my hair? And so on. When Mr. Elton joins them, Emma is able to overhear them talking to each other about Miss Fairfax. I was this moment telling Jane I thought you would begin to be impatient for tidings of us. Overhearing this are Frank and Emma, and Frank comments, Jane, repeated Frank Churchill, with a look of surprise and displeasure. That is easy, but Miss Fairfax does not disapprove it, I suppose. Easy here means very familiar, and once again we see, through her use of names, Mrs. Elton presuming familiarity where it doesn't exist. This is only the beginning of the bad behavior from the Eltons that will be revealed in the course of the ball. As Emma gets ready to dance with Frank Churchill, to whom she has promised her first two dances, she notices Mr. Knightley. He does not wish to dance, but she notices what a fine figure he is, and how he and Frank are the handsomest men there. She wishes Mr. Knightley weren't unwilling to dance. Emma is positioned in such a way that she overhears a conversation that takes place between Mrs. Weston and Mr. Elton. "'If Mrs. Gilbert wishes to dance,' said he, "'I shall have great pleasure, I am sure,' For though beginning to feel myself rather an old married man, and my dancing days are over, it would give me very great pleasure at any time to stand up with an old friend like Mrs. Gilbert. Mrs. Gilbert does not mean to dance, but there is a young lady disengaged whom I should be very glad to see dancing, Miss Smith. Miss Smith? Oh, I have not observed... You are extremely obliging, and if I were not an old married man, but my dancing days are over, Mrs. Weston. You will excuse me. Anything else I should be most happy to do at your command, but my dancing days are over. Mrs. Weston said no more, and Emma could imagine with what surprise and mortification she must be returning to her seat. This was Mr. Elton, the amiable, obliging, gentle Mr. Elton. She looked round for a moment, he had joined Mr. Knightley at a little distance and was arranging himself for settled conversation, while smiles of high glee passed between him and his wife. End quote. A couple of comments on this. This conversation takes place in front of Harriet Smith who is the only woman not dancing, and Mr. Elton was obviously only too pleased to dance with Mrs. Weston or Mrs. Gilbert, but openly snubbed Harriet Smith by refusing to dance with her. The other point that we should note is the look of high glee that passed between Mr. Elton and his wife. The Eltons both rejoiced in this very public snubbing of Harriet. All of this is being observed by Emma to her mortification the narrator states. In another moment, a happier sight caught her, Mr. Knightley leading Harriet to the set. Never had she been more surprised, seldom more delighted than at that instant. She was all pleasure and gratitude both for Harriet and herself, and longed to be thanking him, and though too distant for speech, her countenance said much as soon as she could catch his eye again. His dancing proved to be just what she had believed, extremely good, and Harriet would have seemed almost too lucky, if it had not been for the cruel state of things before, and for the very complete enjoyment and very high sense of the distinction which her happy features announced. It was not thrown away on her. She bounded higher than ever, flew farther down the middle, and was in a continual course of smiles. Mr. Elton had retreated into the card room, looking, Emma trusted, very foolish. End quote. Supper is announced at this point, and Emma has no chance to speak with Mr. Knightley until after the meal when they are gathering in the ballroom. He was warm in his reprobation of Mr. Elton's conduct. It had been unpardonable rudeness, and Mrs. Elton's looks also received the due share of censure. They aimed at wounding more than Harriet, said he. Emma, Why is it that they are your enemies, The two seem to have resolved their earlier differences. Emma admits to him, I do own myself to have been completely mistaken in Mr. Elton. There is a littleness about him which you discovered and which I did not. And I was fully convinced of his being in love with Harriet. It was through a series of strange blunders. And in return for your acknowledging so much, I will do you the justice to say that you would have chosen for him better than he has chosen for himself. Harriet Smith has some first-rate qualities, which Mrs. Elton is totally without. An unpretending, single-minded, artless girl, infinitely to be preferred by any man of sense and taste to such a woman as Mrs. Elton. I found Harriet more conversable than I expected. Emma was extremely gratified, end quote. So both confess to each other that they have misjudged in this matter. Emma admits that she has overvalued Mr. Elton and now sees a littleness in him. And for his part, Mr. Knightley admits that he had undervalued Harriet Smith, whom he now recognizes has more good sense and better taste than the woman whom Mr. Elton married. And as the call to resume dancing comes, Mr. Knightley asks her, "'Whom are you going to dance with?' asked Mr. Knightley. She hesitated a moment and then replied, "'With you, if you will ask me.'" And the two danced together, ending chapter two. Chapter three is another short chapter. It begins with Emma's reflections on the ball. Despite the snub of Harriet, quote, "'The impertinence of the Eltons, "'which for a few minutes had threatened to ruin the rest of her evening,' Had been the occasion of some of its highest satisfactions. That is, their rudeness had unexpectedly led to the reconciliation between Mr. Knightley and Emma. She is particularly gratified by his praise of Harriet, and they both share the same opinion of the Eltons and their conduct. There is some drama in this chapter when two persons entered whom she had nevertheless expected to see together, Frank Churchill. With Harriet leaning on his arm and looking very frightened, too. It turns out that Miss Smith and Miss Bickerton, who is another parlor boarder at Mrs. Goddard's school, had been walking together on a public road. Quote About a half mile beyond Highbury, making a sudden turn and deeply shaded by elms on each side, it became for a considerable stretch very retired, and when the young ladies had advanced some way into it, they had suddenly perceived, at a small distance before them, on a broader patch of greensward by the side, a party of gypsies. A child on the watch came towards them to beg, and Miss Bickerton, excessively frightened, gave a great scream, and calling on Harry to follow her, ran up a steep bank, cleared a slight hedge at the top, and made the best of her way by a short cutback to Highbury but poor Harriet could not follow. She had suffered very much from cramp after dancing, and her first attempt to mount the bank brought on such a return of it as made her absolutely powerless, and in this state, and exceedingly terrified, she had been obliged to remain. Harriet was soon assailed by a half-dozen children, headed by a stout woman and a great boy, all clamorous and impertinent in look, end quote. Harriet took out her purse and gave them money, but she was terrified, and because the children had seen money, they surrounded her, demanding more. Just at this moment, by a most fortunate chance, Frank Churchill comes along. He happened to be on his way back from returning a pair of scissors that he had borrowed from Miss Bates and is able to rescue Harriet. Harriet is all a flutter, and the community is quite distressed at this. The term gypsies refers in particular to the nomadic Roma people, but the term was also rather loosely applied in Austen's day to almost any wandering or itinerant people. All of this takes place the morning after the ball and seems to push the ball out of everyone's mind. As the narrator states, the last night's ball seemed to be lost in the gypsies." Mr. Woodhouse seems quite distressed. He trembled as he sat when they break the news to him, but the gypsies flee the town before there is any opportunity for justice. This little drama puts Harriet in a position where she is rescued by Frank Churchill.